Hey y'all, welcome to the RUF at Trinity podcast. This is Will Nettleton. I'm the RUF campus minister uh, at Trinity here in San Antonio. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Normally our podcast is just recordings of the sermons that I preach at a regular large group meetings on Monday nights. And uh, this recording this week is a little different because uh, as most of you now know, due to the spread of the coronavirus, uh, Trinity's closed campus and sent everybody home. And so we actually can't meet in person uh, for a large group or any of our other uh, RUF meetings. And so that leaves us in a really interesting place. Uh, what are we as RUF going to do? Uh, how do we proceed from here? How do we keep reaching students for Jesus and equipping you to serve him if we can't actually meet together in person? Um, hopefully you're getting our weekly emails and are tuned in to some of the ways that we're going to do that uh, the rest of this semester. But one of the ways we plan to do that is through this podcast. Um, my plan for the rest of the spring semester here in 2020 is to release an episode like this uh, every week uh, for you to listen to. So if you've been with us this spring, you'll remember that we are studying uh, the Ten Commandments together during large group. If you haven't been with us and you'd like to catch up, you can actually just scroll up through uh, the podcast feed uh, up above to uh, listen to some of those older um, episodes. We're going to return to that study in the coming weeks on this podcast, but this week I want to take a break from that to discuss um, what has to be on all of our minds right now, which is uh, the coronavirus. How are we as Christians or as people who are trying to wrestle with Christianity, uh, how are we going to respond to this situation? Uh, What does God have to do with this? What does our belief in God have to do with this? And so I'm going to walk us through that here for the next few minutes. And then if you're listening to this on Monday, March 23rd, we're actually going to meet together via Zoom tonight at 9 p.m. Central Time, our normal large group time. And we're mainly just going to try to see each other's faces and reconnect for a few seconds. But I'm also going to leave some time uh, for questions uh, about today's podcast, um, things like that. And then maybe we'll spend a minute or two uh, praying together. So um, the link to that is in our weekly email newsletter. If you don't get that newsletter, you can sign up for it through the link in our Instagram bio. Uh, Just go to at Trinity on Instagram and click on the bio and you can find um, where to get that newsletter. So... Um, Listen to the rest of the podcast, think about a question or two, and then join us tonight at 9 p.m. on that call. Uh, If for no other reason, I'd love to just see your face. I miss you guys uh, and would love to hear how how you're doing at home. If you got a Bible with you, and uh, if you don't, I guess you can just press pause and go grab one. Um, You can open it to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 17 through 35. And we're just going to use that as a guide for uh, the next few minutes um, to think about how, how do we respond as Christians Uh, in moments of grief and suffering. Uh, I think that's really important in this season with the coronavirus to be able to acknowledge that we are sad. Um, We are going through something profound, some of us more profound than others. Um, In the coming days, it's possible that people listening to this may contract the virus, may have to deal with it really, really seriously. At the very least, all of us are dealing with the loss of being at school, um, having our friends. Some of you are seniors who are graduating and, and perhaps have seen many of your closest friends for the last time, and so you're grieving that. And so how do we deal with that? Uh, how do we deal with what uh, with the hand that we're being dealt here uh, and the fact that we believe in a God who orders all events, uh, who is sovereignly over all things? Mm-hmm. So we're going to try and uh, put pull some things out of John chapter 11, uh, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, uh, to help us to see that we have a God who has not left us in this alone but has entered into it with us. So uh, let's turn our attention to John 11, and before I read it, let me pray for us, and we'll ask God to join us uh, by His Spirit. 
our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that your word is true, even when we can't be together, um, that your word goes out and accomplishes the purposes that you have for it. So I pray that they would do that even now uh, during this time together. Would you um, not let your word return to you void? I pray uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This is John eleven seventeen through 35. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming in to the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but God's word endures forever and ever. We all love this passage because it gives us such a beautiful picture of how God loves us and how he welcomes us in our pain and in our grief and even actually enters into that grief with us. The context of this passage is we see Jesus' interactions with these two sisters, Martha and Mary, who have lost their brother Lazarus. Uh, All three of them, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were close friends of Jesus, and their central question to Jesus is, where were you? Uh, If you go back up earlier in the passage, we actually see that they had called for Jesus while Lazarus was still sick. And we have this cryptic passage where we find out that Jesus actually chooses not to come and heal Lazarus for some Uh, strange purposes. Even as he loves them, he chooses not not to come. And their questions to him when he gets there is, Jesus, where were you? We we needed you. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. Um, And I think Mary and Martha's question is not an irrelevant one for us as we walk through these weird days. Um, God, where are you in the midst of coronavirus? Um, Why are we going through this? Um, Why does it seem like you're not answering our prayers to slow this down, um, to keep it from spreading? Um, That's essentially the question that Martha asked Jesus, where were you? Look back at verses 20 and 21 there. Uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went and met him. Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha hears that Jesus has finally come and she goes out to confront him. Where were you, Jesus? We told you that he was sick. You said this kind of illness wouldn't lead to death. Martha's struggling to make sense of Jesus. He could have healed Lazarus, but he didn't. If he could do it, why didn't he do it? Some of you are asking that question, or at least have asked that question 
before. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Why is this happening? Uh, what are we supposed to do with the fact that we continue to suffer? Um, there's a pastor named George Robertson who often reminds congregants of his who are going through a difficult time to remember that the moon is round. Uh, it's really cryptic advice, but it starts to make sense if you think about it. Um, sometimes when it's dark, uh, there's only a sliver of the moon showing. You can't see the full thing. But you've been through science class. Uh, what do you know? You know science class. That's not what any of those are called, right? Astronomy. Let's, let's say that for the sake of argument. You know, right, even if you can just see a sliver of the moon, that that is not what the moon really looks like. Uh, though you cannot see it, you know the moon is round. And even though we cannot see in, in enough into God's plans to understand everything that's happening, we still know that God is gracious. Even when all appears that he is not, when it appears that um, he is putting us through something pointless, we know that the moon is round. We know that God is faithful and gracious and loving. And so part of what this passage is, is teaching us is to trust God even when we don't know what to do. Uh, Martha's question to Jesus is not the last thing that she says. In verse 22, she shows her faith in Jesus. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even when every indicator points to Jesus letting her down, Martha chooses to believe that he is trustworthy. In verse 23, Jesus actually gives Martha some good news. He says, your brother's going to rise again. Martha just thinks that Jesus is saying what everyone else is saying. Lazarus is in a better place. She says to Jesus, yes, of course, I do know that he will rise again on the last day. Um, you know, translation for us. Thanks for that, Jesus. Good reminder. Uh, super comforting right now. But look at how Jesus responds to her in verses 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's hard to tell from verse 27 if Martha really gets what he's saying. Uh, we know that Jesus is saying, we know what Jesus is saying and what he's about to do. But think about it from Martha's standpoint. This just feels like more of the same. Yes, yes, thank you, Jesus. You're the resurrection and the life, and that's great. One day when all the good stuff finally happens. But what about today? Um, little does Martha know what Jesus is about to do. We didn't read through to the end of the chapter, but Jesus is about to raise her brother from the dead right now. He's not just talking about the resurrection at the last day for Lazarus. He's actually going to raise him now. Martha doesn't know that, and even still, she professes her faith and trust in Jesus. When she doesn't know what else to do, she trusts him. Uh, and that's an invitation for us, too. In the midst of this coronavirus, as we're not sure what to do, as information completely overwhelms us, uh, as it feels like we can't do anything to change this, uh, but pray to a God who sometimes it feels like is not listening, we are invited to continue to trust, to continue to believe even when we don't know what else to do. So Martha gives us one picture uh, of how to respond to Jesus. You may have noticed uh, in verse 20, Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she goes straight to him. Her sister Mary has a different response. She stays home. And finally in verse 28, we hear that Jesus calls for Mary. Um, after Martha finishes her conversation, she goes and calls her sister Mary, saying to her in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Um, Mary has been stewing. She, is, she doesn't want to see Jesus. She's clearly upset. Verse 31 tells us that the people who, who were with her thought she was going to weep at Lazarus' tomb because she got up so quickly. Look at verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary gets to Jesus, she falls down at his feet, and she says the same thing Martha did. Jesus, where were you? 
And I just want to pause for a second and point out that both of these sisters are essentially accusing Jesus of abandoning abandoning them, uh, of letting their brother die. And notice that in neither case does Jesus rebuke them. In neither case does Jesus say, how dare you? How dare you talk to me, the Son of God, that way? And there, I think I just want to point that out to say you, that Jesus is a safe place to go with our grief. Jesus is a safe place to go with our anger and our frustration. Um, Jesus is ready to receive that. We have a God throughout the Bible who constantly is ready to receive us, who, who wants to hear from us. Even when we are angry at him, he wants to hear from us. Um, notice Jesus' response. It's not just that he doesn't rebuke Mary. He's actually undone by what she has to say. Look back at verses 3 through 35. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The Greek here is actually much stronger than our translation indicates. Jesus is not just greatly moved. He's not just troubled in his spirit. He's furious. Um, And it's not at Mary. Who is he furious at? We get a a clue in verse 34, which tells us that Jesus asks where they've laid Lazarus. And when they say, come and see him, Jesus begins to weep. Uh, Why is Jesus crying? Because he sees how hard this has hit his friends. He realizes he's going to have to go see his body. He's going to have to go see Lazarus, his friend, dead, and he weeps. Jesus is furious at death that it had this kind of power over the ones that he loved. Um, think about the, this expression of emotion from Jesus for a moment. Consider this, this context. Okay, Jesus knows that Lazarus is going to die. Just earlier in the chapter, we see that he is the one who expressly allows it. He knows Lazarus is going to die. He even has a purpose for it. He tells his disciples why he's going to do it in verse 4, um, that he wants God to be glorified. So he, know, he also knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's been the plan. He knows this is a temporary situation, which he is about to make right. So why is Jesus not saying, guys, guys, stop crying. It's not a big deal. Watch this. Why is Jesus weeping in this moment, knowing that he's about to bring healing? And I think the answer to that is because no one is more upset by our pain and our suffering than God is. That God enters into our pain and suffering Uh, more deeply than we can really understand. I don't know if there's a better picture of this uh, than in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the the book The Magician's Nephew. Uh, It was written later, but it's a prequel to all the other Narnia books, and it tells the story of how Narnia came to be. And like all the other Narnia books, it involves British children accidentally wandering through the multiverse. And so in this case, the characters are Diggory and Polly, who end up in all sorts of adventures traveling between Narnia and England. But one of the most beautiful parts uh, is a conversation between Diggory and Aslan, you know, the lion, uh, the Christ figure in the Narnia novels. Um, Diggory's mother is back in England, and she's dying. And Diggory has found an apple in Narnia that he thinks, if he can get it back to England, could actually heal his mother. But there's a sign up uh, where he finds this apple that warns against stealing. And ultimately, Diggory ends up in a conversation with Aslan about all of this. And I'm just going to read the quote, the conversation that Diggory has with Aslan. He says, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in his despair, he looked up at its face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the tawny face was bent down near his own, 
and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he was himself. I think that's a beautiful portrait uh, of what we see from Jesus here, that we have a God who weeps with us. Uh, Jesus shows Mary that when we cry, God cries with us. God is a safe place to take your anger and your confusion and your doubt. Mary and Martha both do it, and they are not rebuked. When you suffer, we can go to him honestly, and God can handle it. But I hope you also come to see in this passage what Diggory saw in Aslan's eyes, that Jesus cries with you. Jesus knows things that you don't know. He knows how the story ends. He knows why he's allowing the suffering to happen. We don't know those things, but Jesus does, and he still cries with us. And so my invitation to you uh, as I wrap up this week is um, to consider the possibility that Jesus feels the pain of your grief in the midst of this suffering as we go through uh, all the pains of social distancing, uh, perhaps even as some of us contract the coronavirus or watch those who we love get it. Um, I want us to consider the possibility that Jesus is grieving with us more deeply even than we are, that he hates death and suffering and pain more than we do, and yet he also has a plan, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that everyone who believes in him, though he dies, yet shall he live. Um, Y'all, that's going to be it for this week. I'm going to pray for us really quick, and I hope I get to see you tonight at 9 p.m. on our Zoom call. Um, We'd love to catch up with you and hear how things are doing at home. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you that you are a God who weeps, that you are not a God who stays far off, that you are not a distant clockmaker uh, who set this world into motion and then walked away, but you are a God who has been intimately involved from every step of the way, that you have entered into our suffering, Jesus, that no one enters into it as deeply as you do on the cross, that you have died and suffered on our behalf, that you might bring joy not in spite of our suffering, but through it. And so I pray that you would help us to feel that even now as we go through these trials uh, that this season has brought. Would you help us to trust you and to walk with you uh, and to lean into you uh, with everything that we feel, all of our anger, all of our fear, all of our anxiety. Uh, And would we find a God who weeps with us, who is there for us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.